Hey everyone, and welcome to Know, See, and Feel the Market, show number five. I'm Patrick, your adorable host for the week, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about in this episode. But before I introduce my amazing co-host, let me just remind everyone that we are not your licensed financial advisor, so this show is for entertainment purposes only. Uh, never trust three jabronis on the internet, and just assume that we don't know anything about anything. Now, straight from Orlando, Florida, let me introduce you to the number one A&D hater in the world, our very own chart master, Max. And out of Hawaii, you can see he's ready for everything. We have the king of shorting, Everson. That guy's been on a tear this month month, and has a lot to say. So, guys, uh, we got another very tough week uh, in the market. It doesn't have any clear direction right now. It goes up, it goes down, doesn't know what it wants to do. To me, this is the toughest conditions to invest in. Because uh, so, it's very easy to buy in an upswing and then got, get caught in downswing. Um, so, Everson, like, let's start with you. What did you see this week and uh, how did you do? Like, Did you do any cool trades? Yeah, so as we're, we've been talking about uh, you know, throughout the Where, week. Where's your mask? I- you have to be I, safe at all times. I, there's no one around, so I, I think I'm safe. Okay. <laughs> Six feet. Yeah. yeah. Well, like 10 feet, maybe 20. I don't know. Okay. Good. <laughs> no, so uh, I didn't see anything that I liked. Uh, I, I didn't see any volume movement. So I, normally I would like to do momentum trades. And because of that, the options, it, it just seemed like, you know, companies just wanted to expire with options being worthless. So because of that uh, sentiment alone, I, I didn't get into any positions, no new positions. Um, I did sell out on quite a bit of positions. Uh, you know, Max's favorite, I sold out of AMD, made made oh a couple, gosh. made like a hundred or two off of AMD. Um, and then also I, I, I seen a little bit of a pop from Tesla also, Patrick's your favorite. Um, so cash out on my positions. And I just stayed in cash basically this whole week. So some of the stocks I, I'll go ahead and mention real quick. Also, you know, AMD, Tesla. Uh, I did a sellout on an oil company, super oil tanker company called Tank. I sold out for a little bit of a profitability on that. Um, made a little less than $1,000 this week. It wasn't really a trading week. I mean, I took advantage of being able to stay home. and uh, It was a nice time to be able to just relax, but... I think that was that's a strategy in itself, right? If you don't see anything or you don't want to make a decision where it's just too abrupt because of FOMO, you know, um, FOMO meaning uh, fear of missing out. Uh, it's not about the fear of miss, missing out. It's it's a smart, educated position to stay in cash. And when you see something that, that really pops this eye out, then, um, you know, shoot for that one. So that's basically what I was looking for. Is I was looking for opportunity just uh, – Keeping the research, just stay in the market, just get get a mindset through the indexes. Uh, but I, I I didn't really do too many trades at all. What made you like? How did you pick the ones that you were going to exit out of? I looked at ones that had profitability that were pushing towards um, expiration, uh, as far as options is concerned. Um, I also looked at uh, like AMD. I was up on a positive with AMD, and I felt like, you know, there was a change, I think, in the the way analysts had perceived 
uh, what where AMD would be, and it's a little lower than where we're sitting at currently. Um, let me just go ahead and take a look at it right now. AMD, I think, is I think AMD is sitting at about forty. Yeah, it's about forty dollars per share. It's forty-two forty now. Um, I think the analyst perspective was a lot lower than that. So I just expected a little more downwind. And, you know, being that the job numbers came out, there's almost a million. Uh, I think it's going to hit a million, uh, potentially. <clears throat> you know, people being out of work, it's not something that they're looking to buy computer parts or a new cell phone maybe right away. Uh, I, I could be wrong. I mean, you know, people could shop, shop around for a good deal, but I just don't see a big rush for for anything. Uh, and I mean, as we said before, could, taking out your profits when you can, like, is never a losing play. Right. And I, so I what think about, that maybe it could be, you know, ruling in, in AMD's favor because, you know, AMD, it, it's a great company. I mean, compared to Intel and uh, NVIDIA, I, I think AMD runs the show because it's a cheaper processor. It, it, takes, it takes less to make them. Um, so they're not they're not spending a whole lot of cash making these chips and processes, and it's much more effective than your Intel. So they caught up with the technology, not to mention the CEO of the company. She's been a, a, a pretty good job, I think. So, um, you know, woman CEO, it's it falls into the sentiment of, of you know the society that that's you know women leadership and everything. So I just see good things for the AMD company. Yeah, I agree. Uh, AMD gained a lot of market shares in basically every sector. And as you mentioned, I really like the CEO. Like every interview that she gives, feels like she has a very clear vision of where the company should go, right. like what right. their main focus should be. And she's right. been executing for a few years now. Um, they're, just, they used to be, they used to always be behind in research, but they really caught up. Um, they did. They're doing right. really well in all of the servers and everything. Um, I see. I see Max's blood boiling over there. Uh, hey, Max, Max, we can't hear you. Your your mic is on mute. So, what about you, Max? How uh, did you do this week? Well, I was just gonna say, hearing you guys talk about AMD over there is gonna make me throw up pretty soon. <laughs> um, and, you know, I it's I don't believe in the high PE ratio, so I'm not even gonna touch it. You know, to me, I think it's just fantasy. If you make money with it, good for you, but I'm not touching it, not at all. But uh, looking at last week, oil definitely popped, uh, you know, on true or fake news. It doesn't matter. All we care about is the facts. The facts is, uh, you know, it says that the, the oil went up. And uh, so I had a pretty good week. Uh, entire account went up 2%. Uh, so I'm capitalizing on it, which is nice. Uh, but in terms of the actual overall market, what we're looking at is um, – if you look at it, the past seven trading days, so almost past two weeks, we've been in a channel. Uh, so the bears and bulls have fought for so long for so, and, 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 you know, at a high frequency that uh, they're tired now. And it, so what I, I was talking about earlier uh, was these two guys, the bulls and the bears, are like boxers. And halfway through the match, they're just hugging each other, trying to get a couple of seconds of rest. Um, so now if you were a big, uh, pop trader, big momentum trader, like Everson, it wasn't a good week, but if you enjoy channels, trading channels, um, it was a great, great week, week and a half to, uh, to make some, some trades here. In fact, that's how I started. 
I used to always look for uh, trading channels, and I would buy the bottom, sell at the top, buy the bottom, sell at the top. And that's way before I knew about options. So I would have made a whole lot more money that way. So if you're a channel trader, this would have been perfect for you. We'll see how much longer we have in this in this channel. And so if you're looking at the SPY, I'm talking about the tra uh, trading channel is between 243 and 263. So about 20 points. Um, so we don't really know where we're headed next. Um, but if you're looking at the trading channel, the low of that trading channel is actually higher than the previous low. So when Patrick was talking about a dead cat bounce last week, um, in order for it to be a dead cat bounce, we actually need to break or at least meet that previous low. So we haven't done that yet. We have not done that yet. Um, so Look this at Everson could with attack. Yeah, it could go up. Uh, it could go up from here. You know, if we sustain that low, if you're looking at the hourly chart, you're getting a double bottom. Uh, we'll see where it goes. We'll talk more about it at the end of the segment. But uh, channel traders, you guys must have made some really good money. Um, and uh, that's about all we have for last week on my part. The volume's going down a little bit. Uh, people are uncertain. You know, so you have traders like... Uh, Momentum traders like Everson, you know, Patrick, myself, we're not really sure where the market's going, but uh, channel traders did really well. And that's the problem. I usually like, in theory, stocks that don't go up too quick or down too quick because it makes it very difficult to react to. It's, it's very unpredictable, especially right now. Um, what I don't like about this channel that you're talking about is that it's very difficult to predict which stock is going where right now. Uh, you have stocks that are going up for no reason. There's stocks that are going down for no reason. It's very difficult. Like, for example, a few weeks ago, we talked about AMC. And AMC is a really good example of what we were talking about. A lot right. of people enjoy doing puts. Like, uh, Everson is one of our puts guys. The problem with puts is that you have to time not only uh, the direction it's going, the speed and the strength. So, for example, I felt like AMC had room to go down, but I didn't calculate the speed well enough, right? I was too quick. I set an expiration on a Friday, and it didn't go down until like a week and a half after that. And then it went way down, and they can potentially go bankrupt because they only have like 250 millions left. So that's the downside to like, a lot of people like to do swing trades and everything. It's very difficult to time. Uh, that's why I prefer uh, just, I have a por portion of my portfolio that's long-term, like three to five years. And then I do short plays based on what I see. And right now, it's very difficult to predict if it's going up or down. So, you know, there's no clear swing. Um, so that's why I feel like the three of us right now are very cautious and we're looking for plays that are a little bit safer, I think, it's fair to say. Well, I actually wanted to add something. I think a couple of episodes ago, we talked about how the majority is always wrong. And so as we went down significantly, everyone's buying puts and people that think we're going to recover are buying uh, calls. Well, what did the market do? It just stayed in the middle. So everyone that bought the, the calls and the puts just lost that theta lost their value so the majority again loses 
Yeah. And that's what happens with the expiration. Um, I want to also cover the charts with the AMC. I don't know if you all can, can see that. But let me, all right. So that's yeah. AMC, right? I don't know if you could see at the end of that where it sort of showed a support level at the bottom. So, so Everson, just for our listeners, do you mind just sharing the de the numbers? Yeah, so uh, that support, I think it was like at two 243. It broke the support, which was at, I had placed it at about two 240, 243. Um, and it broke it, and I think it went down to like 20 cents below its value. So your support level is where institutional money and also the the company itself will support that level to sometimes put the puts if you're bidding on the down market to put the, the, the puts into an expiration category. So any, you know, as we said before, we thought MC was going to go down. And if we had waited, we probably would have made just a little bit of money, but not a lot. So it wouldn't be worth it to be able to put that, that puts in. And then what happens is that they, they maybe they pump the stock from that support level to about maybe 10% above. In this case, from its lows, it went up about 9.96%. It probably hit 10% uh, at a pop. Um, and well, now it kind of so sustains itself around around 220, right? I think the lowest is going is close to about $2 per share on, on AMC. I'm looking at a, at a weak chart, um, but you know, from its lows- But Everson, you know, before I even buy puts on uh, AMC, I'm gonna have, I, I need it to break that support level at 1.95. Right. But the sentiment was that we thought that Patrick and I had thought yeah. that it was going to go down. I had my that, puts, but... I had my puts at $3. But the problem is again, it's a timing issue. You have to, right. you have to figure out not only the speed, the direction. And so that's why uh, puts are great right. when you know the market's going down, but when it's like this, where it's going sideways, why, it's a lot to tougher. Me, it looks like it's it's going to come back up because if, if I'm going to be bearish on this, I need it to break that support level. I mean, if you're looking, if you know uh, about candlesticks, you're getting a double bottom. And last week, it actually formed a hammer. You know, no, all these things are actually, coming. you know, they're very bullish. Uh, so I wouldn't even go with a put until it breaks that support level. Uh, I'd be more prepared into uh, buying some calls right now. That's just me. Right. Well, I wouldn't necessarily personally buy any calls with this, but I know, I know for certain that, you know, with a, with a company like this, if they're still paying rent for those facilities, we might have some of those theaters closing um, and which would create cash value for it. You know, your worst, your worst performers close them down. I, I'm not too sure how many theaters they have open, Um not like, many, you know, as far as I know. Not many. And yeah, they only have 250 million, so they're already talking about restructuring. So right. That, that's and why. That actually, go ahead. That actually boosts this, the the uh, the performance of the stock if they downsize, they you know fire people, um, they restructure. That's all positives because that's cash in hand, um, especially you know liquidating those the worst performers. That's that looks positive on the books. Is as bad as that may seem, but when you know you, you close down, you, you eliminate employees, that's unforeseen cash that's in pocket. Because let's remember, guys, like when a company forecasts the future plans for the year, they've already had those fundings allocated 
for salary positions for your right. hourly employees. And that's already been patterned out for the year. So that that cash value on the eliminated position goes right back to the company. And that's how they, they save on uh, doing good with earnings and, and things like that. I mean, sure, we all knew about that. Yeah. But so, but the problem is, is it's right before the summer, before the big movies. So even your worst right. producing theater would still make a pretty good sum during the four months during the summer. Absolutely, right. And also another big problem with AMC, as many other companies. So like we're talking about AMC right now, but this applies to a lot of other stocks. So right. I want you guys to pay attention to that. But they're very, they have a lot of debt from buying other movie theater chains like they right. bought Carmike, i believe you know so they have a pretty big debt uh, that they need to pay off well right now they have no revenue and they only have 250 million so that's why they're in trouble uh they're likely to get a bailout but you know what i mean like those are the things that you need to pay attention to um that you need to do a little bit of digging when you're looking at max loves the charts but i like to i'm more of a like the overall structure of the company type guy. Right. And this all brings me to kind of my next point. I wanted to share my strategy right now in like this current situation. Since we don't really know if it's going up or down, like two months ago, everyone knew the stock market was going up. That makes it easier to invest in. When everyone knows it's going down, yeah, your portfolio might be going down, but you know which direction it's going like you can try to adapt to it but now Absolutely. we really don't know like there's no clear signal so my strategy right now is to I, I mean i've already told everyone that i'm very cautious but it's to invest in things where if it goes up or down i'm fine so i'll give an example that i shared uh, with some of the guys before but uh, so i sold puts on hertz at four dollars for 35 cents premium right so i'm risking eight thousand dollars to make 750 in two weeks my theory is that if the stock goes up i collect the 700 premium i'm very happy it's a pretty good week for me and if the stock goes down it's a company that i believe in eventually is going to recover so if i picked up the stock at 365 i would be very fine with it because after that I can just sell covered calls on it, make more premium. So whether the stock goes up or down, I'm okay with. Uh, of course, like if it crashes to a dollar, I'm going to be upset that I overpaid for it. But you can't not trade ever, right? It, 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 there's still a little bit of risk. But even if it went down to a dollar, we're talking about an investment of eight thousand. It's not going to cripple my my portfolio if anything. Uh, so how are you guys analyzing those uh, that, those strategies? Like, how do you adapt your strategy in a time like this? Well, Sorry with that I, you know, thanks. Um, so I, you know, one of the one of the episodes I said that I was going to try and test out a dividend strategy. That's still on the table to test out a dividend strategy, uh, especially with your more cyclical stocks. Um, you know, ones that you know that they're going to be able to weather the storm. I, I look at companies like utility companies. I look at companies like, uh, or I think that utility companies can, can make a, a profit, especially if Airpoint's still at home. Um, we talked about it a little bit. So I, I don't have any particular companies that I'm looking in as of right now. Um, I was an investor uh, 
in uh, Dominion Energy. Uh, it's my understanding that it's a huge part of it is in Virginia, and, and uh, Max and Patrick is letting me in on a little bit of detail, but I'd sold um, out of uh, Dominion and made a profit off of that, uh, not to mention the dividends, the pretty good dividend rate. Um, but, you know, I, I just look at the, the sector overall. I like Walmart. I like Amazon. Uh, I still kind of like AMD, um, but on a pullback. Because I think, you know, that partnership with Apple, I think that's going to be a pretty big move. Um, and I've said that, I, I think it was maybe about a year back, Max, was it? That, you know, the partnership with AMD and Apple was going to be a pretty pretty big move. Well, both of you guys have been talking about AMD in my ear <laughs> oh, yeah, off for yeah, a long yeah. time. Uh, you, yeah. you, you, I, I forget, you're a hater. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, uh, I tested out a dividend strategy on one of the episodes, uh, you know, kind of talking about it. And I actually did get into a couple of positions on a div- dividend strategy. But what happened was I sold out on a lot of them because it's just, you know, before we were before we started recording this show, we talked about it. It's just fundamentals don't work anymore. Yeah. Uh, we're at a time where the, the market's um, broken itself down. Um, I, believe it or not, I've never done this. I, I, I've probably done this once, this strategy once, but I'm curious to see how the penny stock market's done. Uh, <laughs> There's no fundamentals yeah, gonna... in the penny stock. No I was going to say, you stock. guys are just buying these penny stocks here, AMC and Hertz <laughs> and things like that. You know, I need something right. to be over $10 to have some value. Hey, well, but Everson, uh, let me just keep going with your like train of thought there. Um, so a lot of people have been going into dividend stocks. Like you're not worried about the whole dividend trap. Um, a lot no, of them actually cut their dividends. So uh, right. how would you analyze that like for viewers and well, well, that's what I was saying, you know, before in the previous episode, I, I wanted to test out a dividend strategy. But like I was saying, the fundamentals don't work anymore. So I'm re- I'm retracing my steps and I'm saying, you know, I, I, I don't know, moving forward, I don't know if a dividend strategy will work uh, completely. Dividend strategy will work if it's one of your cyclical stocks. So if it's like like I was saying, you know, if it's your Walmarts, if it's your Amazons, um, but from my understanding, Amazon pays little to none in, in dividends, uh, Walmart a little better. Uh, but, you know, you find that best of breed with those companies that can pay out those dividends and that are actually making a revenue stream and able to make their earnings work for them. So, uh, yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm looking at. moving So, forward. Everson, if you're a company, why would you pay out a dividend? What's the point of a dividend? Well, obvious to uh, take care of the shareholders, you know, that that your money is worth being invested in our company. So dividend is just just there to be able to take care of the shareholders. It's sentiment of trust. So yeah, they're, they're not they're not big growth stocks, so they have to compensate you for investing with them. Right. Exactly. Right. A little what, bit of honey. What about you, Max? Uh, like, what's your nice. What's your strategy like in this time where it's not even they're going up or down? Like, how do you travel that road? I mean, I'm having a blast. I mean, I'm collecting these high premiums for stocks that are just barely moving, you know. And so uh, 
see, my, my strategies are very different. I don't go into the pops and the swings. I've done all that. I've gone into Forex trading. I've gone into day trading. You name it. Um, and so I found what was more consistent is just get into uh, some theta training, some premiums. Um, and that's what works for me. That's what's consistent. And uh, so times like these, you know, I'm not really worried about it. I just look at what the charts tell me. I just act accordingly. I'm wrong 96% of the time, but I'm just really good at adjusting my positions. So whatever the market brings me, I'm going to have a good time. And so, you know, I, I'd love to throw a challenge one day. You know, we'll pick a stock. Give me any stock, and, and there's always a way to, to make uh, some money. You just have to know a different types of, all the different types of um, tools to use and find the, the, the right key for that specific underlying. I might actually have to take you up on that offer. A stock challenge. That'd be one of our episodes. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So, you know, I guarantee I'm not going to make as much as the big winners, but I guarantee you that there's always a way to make money on a stock. So as, as you guys know it, um, I, I don't think, I don't know if the viewers know it, but as you guys know it, I like to do just naked calls and puts. But you, what you're doing, Max, is, is something totally different. You're, you're, you're selling calls and you're buying or you're selling puts. Is that, is that yeah, kind of what absolutely. you're doing? So, you know, for you to make money, in order for you to get into a contract, you're buying calls and puts, right? Mostly puts, I think. But there's someone else on the other end of that spectrum that's actually providing you the other side of the contract. I mean, right. who are you giving that money to? Well, you're giving it to someone like me that's collecting that premium. And uh, so you have the benefit of the huge profit potential. I have the benefit of the consistency. Um, and so I, I'd rather be the bank than be the investor. That's, that's just the way I'm trading. Uh, I've been doing it for a while. And, uh, you know, I'm in love with Theta. I won't take anything else. Vega looks so sexy. That's where you get a huge return on investments. But is it going to be consistent? Now, if you're really good and you're creating a, a machine, you understand your risk-reward, and you're hitting your 2-to-1 ratios, 3-to-1 ratios, like we talked about, I think it was episode 1, you know, you have a machine that's consistent. So you understand that you're, anytime you have a loss, that's part of your business expense. Um, and so you're making a return that way. I'd just rather make adjustments, and it's a lot easier to make adjustments when you're the banker and not the investor. And that's the beautiful thing is that there's so many ways to invest and actually be profitable because here you have basically the two opposites. You have Max that sells, puts in calls, and you have Everson that buys the puts in calls, and they both make money in their own way. I'm kind of in the middle i do a little bit of both it depends on like my strategy for the week and how i feel the market's going but like that's a beautiful thing like the first thing you need to do is which kind of and figure out which kind of investor you are and just adapt your strategies to that model uh if you're max like max you're you'd rather be a little bit slower and but take less risk and keep building like step by step go up if you're Everson, I bet Everson, even though you're still profitable, but I bet you're more of a roller coaster. You have a little bit more ups and downs. Am I correct? Well, what I like to try and do, um, be, because of that fact, if I was putting in, so my ratio would be a one to ten ratio. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't mitigate a lot of risk. Um, so I, I don't get a lot of that roller coaster rise. And like Max. I, I'm able to 
correct my position. And if I can't find an exit route or an entry route in my uh, analyzing a chart and it doesn't match up with the thesis, I won't get into the trade. So my thesis has to align with my exit and en entry and exit point strategy. Um, and also my risk tolerance. So I, I find that this works for me and I'm not losing huge sums because of that. Uh, if I was all in on a call, straight calls, or if I was all in on, on puts, that would kind of create some, some type of uh, effect on, on everything. What I, I would be worried about is if the overall market had the in intentions to, you know, expire all of these options, you know, calls or puts in the, in the negative or just, you know, expire worthless, then at that point, it becomes a problem. If I start to see this trend starting to populate, that's when, like weeks, like this week, I, I would just stay out of the market. I would stay in cash. I'd wait for an opportunity that matched with the thesis and the uh, entry and exit points. Yeah, and you don't, you, you basically don't go all in on your strategy like you try Definitely to. Definitely not. And that's one thing I wanted to touch on, as I mentioned uh, last week, is bankroll management. Um, and people always talk about diversification, which is very important. Um, again, there's multiple different ways to do it. Like some of you know, I'm very overweight in oil right now. So that's why my net, you know, my bankroll went down a lot uh, during the crash. But at the same like time, underweight. <laughs> well, but at the same time, you know, I have some real estate, I have mortgage notes, I have collectibles. So I have my own diversification. But when we're talking about the stock market itself, um, like, can you give a little bit of a guide on how, how much do you feel comfortable, not necessarily, but like how, how much should people invest in one stock or one trade? Like, don't put all your 1% of your money in Tesla and calls and hope that it's going to 10,000 and like you're going to drive a Lamborghini, right? Is that, is that a strategy that we should go with? Or do you have like any insight on that? Absolutely. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so are you talking you're, to me? Well, both of you, Go but ahead, you heard man. it first. You, you, you heard it, so you heard it here first, everyone. That. Like, it's all about the Lambo and bet on Tesla calls. So I, I, I like a Tesla more than a Lambo, to be honest. I, I like the yeah, I mean, there's a preference there. But like Patrick was saying, you have to know who you are. You know, how, how emotional are you? your emotions dictate, you know, what you can tolerate. And in fact, you know, if you're going to be a really good trader, you shouldn't have emotions. I'm just going to say that out loud. But um, right. so what I was going to say is diversification, in my opinion, is basically ignorance. To me, if you really believe in what you're doing, you're going all in, you know, so I'm all in oil. Absolutely. Uh, 100% of the portfolio, well, 99% is in oil right now. And so when I have the vehicle that I found, I'm going to go all in 100%. And I understand it. I know how to adjust. And so if you understand that, you or you're built off premiums, theta, you can do that as long as you understand what you're doing. But if you're getting started or your strategy is a little bit more diversified, you know, then you have to make sure you stay diversified, at least five stocks, if not more. 
uh, if you're hitting over 15, you know, you're, you're doing too much. Uh, you, oh, you have no just, exposure. You're not going to make a profit. Can't just but if you're going to index at that point. Yeah. If you're going to be diversified, make sure it's at least over five. If you're not and you understand what you're doing, go all in and make sure that you understand how to adjust because the market's always going to give you um, it's always going to attack you in some way, some shape. Uh, so anytime I enter a position, I always make sure that I look at what is it, what's going to happen to my portfolio if the stock goes down? What's going to happen if the stock stays the same? And what's going to happen if it goes up? I always ask myself these questions. In fact, I'll do that exercise daily and I'll do it weekly and I'll do it before any time I enter a new position. That way I understand what my game plan is regardless of what the, the, the stock market gives me. And, you know, that's why I'm always 96% wrong. I'll guess that it's going to go one direction, but I also have a plan for the other two directions if I'm wrong, which most of the time I will be. It's just I make money through the adjustments. Yeah, but so you're not you're not going all into uh, where if you're right, you're going to make a million dollars, or if you're wrong, you're going to go bankrupt. Um, no. You know, that's that's why I said earlier that your method is slow and steady and you keep adjusting your position. Yeah, um, it's, it's not a get rich quick thing. So, I mean, a, a lot of people are upset with with Trump. But to be honest, I learned a lot of great things from him through some of his books. And in one of his books, he says, make sure that when you're investing, when you lose, you're still making money. And so when I'm laying out my three plans for if it goes up, down, or sideways, I make sure that there's a way for me to make money regardless of which direction it, it goes. Um, and so as long as I have my three strategies, I see what the worst case scenario is. I can uh, reduce my cost basis if it's going to attack me one direction, or I can roll if it attacks me the other direction. I'm always ready. I'm always on my, t you know, on my toes. I used to play quarterback in you know, high school and college. And so as you drop in the pocket, you're looking at the defense and you're on the tip of your toes. Are you going to be throwing pretty soon? You know, it's because it's all based on timing. But if the receiver is not there, maybe you slip. The defense, you know, gets through the offensive line. I'm on the tip of my toes and I'm ready to run, you know, and I was a scrambler. So you always have to be ready for all kinds of different adjustments, regardless of what you're doing. I like the analogies uh, this, this episode. A lot of good analogies. You, you were a. Uh... Sorry, this is off topic, but were you were you second quarterback, first quarterback? Top well, 100 so, in the country. Well, that was a long time ago. But, uh, you know, at Kauai High, I was the backup. And then when I transferred to Waimea, I was the starter. Really? Yeah. Did, did you play with Jordan Dizon then? Uh, so I played basketball with him, but I got uh, – I he graduated the year before I got there. Uh, Didn't he, he get drafted for Detroit Lions or, or something, right? He did, yeah. He, he was uh, like I a third, he, third string? <laughs> uh, no, I, I think he started. Uh, you know, it was pretty exciting. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you just have to be willing to and, – and, you know, I talk about this a lot to a lot of my friends. Make sure you look at the risk graph. Anytime you enter a position, make sure you look at the risk graph. You understand – what's going to happen in all three directions, have a game plan for those directions. And it doesn't matter what the, the market's going to give you, you're going to be ready for it. You've actually rehearsed, okay, well, if the market attacks me this way, boom, I just make this adjustment. If the market's going to do this, I close my position. I've only been exposed, you know, 0.5%, 1%, whatever your pain tolerance is. 
and then you close it out. You always know what your worst case scenario is for all three directions. There's three directions. Make sure you remember that. There's down, sideways, and up. And so right. if you're buying puts, you know, you're going to make money when it goes down. You're going to lose money when it goes sideways, and you're going to move, lose money when it goes up. So you just have to make sure that you have a strategy for all three directions, and it would be the reverse if you're buying calls. And let's just talk about something that we talked about this week. I feel it's very appropriate right now. Um, you know, the title of the show is No See Feel the Market. Max and I, we ran into this situation this week because we have a lot of the same positions. And we both adjusted very differently based on the same set of circumstances. So we both have a lot of oil, right? And on Thursday, I was talking about the president. Uh, he sent out a tweet about uh, potentially having the Arab countries of OPEC lower the production of oil, which would obviously boost the pricing. So that made the price of USO, which is the stock that we mostly invest in, go up pretty quickly. And so we both had to adjust to that effect. So Max is more of the no guy he looks at the charts and he decided to uh just roll over at the same price point and let it go for next week and then he's going to adjust it again for me i felt like on friday it was to go up again uh keep that momentum so instead of rolling you know or keeping my same position i rolled up so that I would not have to buy it back at a higher price. So how do you analyze that, Max? Like, these, again, same positions, totally different methods of uh, doing our trades. But it's hard to know which one's going to end up being the best in the end. So, you know, I'm, I'm guessing my way is not going to be the best. But I'm pretty sure that I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to make money. Um, so... I didn't stay all at the same price. Some of my portfolio actually had rolled up. Some of it just rolled out. Um, and uh, so I think I'm going to let a little bit more time decay, get that theta, and then maybe I'll pop it up 50 cents and, and keep adjusting that way. Because, the, you know, even if you're in the money, you're still getting some good premiums there, some good theta. Um, and so I'm just allowing the market to give me the funds to keep rolling up, rolling up. And I like to roll with credits only. I only roll with credits, and I think Patrick, uh, you know, rolls with debits. And if you're doing that correctly, rolling with debits, you're going to get a better uh, return on investment. It's just, uh, it's difficult a, uh, to time. Well, it, it's difficult to time. It has a higher degree of difficulty, but uh, with potential higher gains. And so for him, he'd rather have the premiums go as low as possible. As for me, I'm actually the opposite. I want the premiums as high as possible when I'm rolling over. Yeah, so we'll see this week. Um, let's just transition into, like, what do you guys see this week? I think that oil is going to be a very big topic this week. Uh, on Monday, there's supposed to be an OPEC plus meeting where the U.S. is actually going to be invited, their representatives. The goal is for basically the countries to prop up the, the price artificially by lowering production. They're talking about like 10 to 15 million barrels, which as we know, uh, they were expecting the total oil consumption to drop by like 15 to 20 million because of the pandemic. Uh, so 
that to me is going to be probably the biggest event of the week, depending on if they announce something or not, because the market is pretty closely tied to oil for some reason, right? And it's always like that. Uh, in the first few episodes, we talked about the one-two punch, the first being the crisis, uh, the health crisis, but also the price of oil going down and how it affects the shale industry and a lot of jobs in the U.S. So I think that's going to be the main factor this week. Uh, that's why I rolled at $6. I don't know if I'm going to profit from it or not. I might have to roll down or up. We'll see what happens with that. But that's what I'm mostly looking at uh, for this week, as well as, of course, like the unemployment is ballooning. Uh, what about you guys? Like, how do you, What do you see this week? Like, What should we pay attention to? I like oil where it's at. Um, I, I think it's really low. Uh, I mean, definitely by reducing production and everything, it, it, it looks like a pretty good call. Um, but then again, I, I need to do a little bit of research to see exactly where my price point should be. Uh, again, see if my thesis will line up to, to everything. But we talk about this almost every week. And, you know, I... I dig deeply to what Patrick says about it because I think he's the expert in that. Um, so I, I've i been thinking about my entry point. I haven't really resolved where I where I feel like it's going to be, uh, but I think we're coming up to those those times where, I mean, if we look at it, it's, 40, it's up 40%, you know, USO. It's up 40% in a week, 15% on Friday. And it probably went higher than that uh, during the all day. It took, all it took was one tweet. One tweet, right. Uh, but there's also some negative news uh, in, in a speech that he gave about the uh, about the sentiment of oil companies and things like that. So, but at, at the same time, you you can see it. It's just I think it's reached this bottom. I, I think that you can't get any lower than this. Uh, and it, if it does, then you know you would have companies that would close down. So if companies pull down, close down, there's less competition, yeah. which means that the price is just going to go up inevitably. Like I said, I think we've reached reached the bottom. Uh, it was it was down what seventy percent, I think it was. Yeah, was, massive was right? drop. I mean, the whole entire industry was was down that much, and it's it's not like they're looking to Venezuela or anything like that to pick up oil <laughs> because they, their oil prices is way too expensive. You you're better off buying from the Russians than even Venezuela at that point, you know, uh, if they'll sell it to you. But so what's really what's really interesting is that there's always these contradictory forces. Uh, we're not getting into politics or anything, but yeah. obviously a sitting president usually like, especially like this one, likes gas prices to be low because it's something that consumers see and feel every time they go to the pump. But at the right. same time, the U.S. has worked so hard to be more energy independent that they just can't let the entire shale industry die and fracking and all that stuff, whatever we think about in terms of environment, but they're just not going to let that entire industry die. So you have those two opposing forces, but it's just so important for the country that that's why we'll probably get into an agreement with them to lower production. How do you guys see it? I do agree with this opposing forces theory that I have. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're right, but it's also, we just went through a cleansing process in 2016, I believe, where gas dropped significantly and a lot of uh, companies had to file bankruptcy or restructure 
and the stronger companies were able to buy some assets at a very steep discount. Um, so if you're comparing us today, even though we're dealing with a little bit lower prices than uh, back in 2016, uh, we are much stronger today. Um, the strongest companies are left over. So if this lasts uh, much longer, I don't think it's going to make that big of a cleanse through that sector. The reason is because we just went through that cleanse in 2016. Um, and, you know, that's the thing. They're trying to have that, that war with us, but we're already stronger than we were in 2016 in terms of that sector. So you're right. You know, there's the um, opposing forces, but uh, we are definitely not the weakest country in terms of uh, price tolerance. Um so a lot more countries will fall before we do, or a lot more countries right. will cut back and, and, you know, that pack will be uh, created. Even Russia is going to have a harder time than uh, we will, just because what happened in 2016, we had some very amazing moves. Uh, now banks don't even leverage anymore into that sector. So there's a lot less exposure, and I'm going to keep saying it over and over. We are much stronger in that sector than we were a while ago. Um a lot less exposure in the financial industry and uh, plenty of assets were bought basically, you know, 10 cents on the dollar. So I think we're okay. I don't know. I'm not seeing it. Uh, we talked about it this week because we're, we're all looking at energy companies that might be interesting to look at on the rebound. And as far as I know, uh, Chevron needs a $50 barrel to be profitable. And Exxon, to my surprise, needs a $70 barrel. So they're, they're still very far off. So even those companies that are considered very diversified, because those guys also profit from refineries. They just don't, they're, they're not just into like actual extraction. They also profit from refineries and everything. They still need a very high barrel price. So it's very hard to pick one stock right now in the energy sector well i mean if and also the, stock, the the dividends are going to go down like they just can't sustain it definitely yeah absolutely definitely. but uh you know anytime you can't figure out what is the best of breed like we talk about all the time then you know it's always better to stick with the commodity if you believe in it That's my strategy that I always talk about. You don't have to worry about management. You don't have to worry about their expenses, the CEO. It just, if the commodity is going up or down. And to me, that's a little bit more predictable. But How would you invest in the commodities, let's just say, like for oil? Uh, I mean, not a lot of us will have uh, space to be able to take a, a you know, 10, 10 20 oh, gallon yeah. barrel and, and fill up <laughs> at the, at the uh, gas station one of those right so i mean for a viewer audience uh how, what what were you looking at are you looking at etfs are you looking at um uh, how would you because i know i've done commodities with uh, precious metals and at that those times uh i think this is back in like 2008 um those times i could just go to you know company at that time i went to monix and i i would pick up the actual commodity themselves uh, gold coins or whatever and they'd ship it to my house and i'd be able to, to hang on to them um, there was also an option where you could buy it into commodities and they'll hold it for you but they charge you a fee uh, so they, they charge you sales commission they charge you an interest for being able to just hold the uh, commodity there uh, how would you 
how would you look into buying like an oil commodity? Yeah, so I'll tackle that one if you don't mind, Max. Um, so there's four different methods that I know of to get exposure to it, especially with gold and silver. As you were saying, you can actually buy the physical one. Uh, I add some myself just for fun, you know, coins and everything like you were mentioning. But that's not really realistic for a natural gas or oil or wheat. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you're not going to build some big barn in your backyard just to store your wheat, right? So right. it's mainly through ETFs, like the one that I'm mostly invested in is USO. And then you can go straight for mining, uh, not mining, sorry, <laughs> that's for gold and silver, but for oil companies that do the extracting or refineries. And then the last method is just through calls and puts on those same companies or index or ETF. So those are the three real ways to get exposure to those commodities in my, you know, my strategies that I use. What about you, Max? Does that kind of cover it? Yeah, I mean, you can actually invest into the, uh, the oil rigs as well. Uh, I think minimums like twenty five thousand dollars to get into that. Um, so yeah, USO I think is is such a great exposure to the oil, although it doesn't move as a one to one ratio. Yeah. But what's really interesting is I always try to look at the cheapest uh, in terms of purchasing power. Um, but through the past week, um, silver has gained a lot more purchasing or is has become a lot cheaper compared to oil. Um, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm explaining this correctly. Oil is still the cheapest in terms of purchasing power, but in terms of retracement in ratios, silver has made up a lot more ground. Um, so I've lost a lot more purchasing power compared to oil. Why? Because oil's bumped up tremendously in the past, you know, two and a half days. Um, so I, I just noticed that on the chart and, you know, I definitely pay attention to that because as the ratios change, you know, you want to, you want to make sure you're flexible, you're on, the, on your toes and you're ready to move, you know. That's actually a great point that you brought up. And like, why don't we talk a little bit about hyperinflation with the two trillion and more plus, plus, plus that might come in. Um, you know, I'm not as excited about silver than you are, but silver and gold are usually considered to be pretty good like defensive plays against inflation. So how does that impact you? Especially now that, you know, we both agree, we, we both like oil, but now oil went up and silver is still a little bit down. So, I mean, oil is still cheaper in terms of purchasing power. It's just, I mean, so don't get me wrong. I mean, if you're in silver, you're actually making a really good play. The cheapest thing out there is natural gas, but I don't even count it. Why? Because there the amount of vehicles that you can get into natural gas, there's not a lot of volume. Um, so it doesn't really make sense. So to me, I, I never think about natural gas. I always start with oil. Oil is the cheapest. Silver is number two. And then you can get into gold after that. So if you're playing, you know, if you're playing with first place, second place or third place, you're at the bottom of the barrel. You're doing pretty good. You just have to understand how to adjust. And you have to understand, like, are you short-term, mid-term, or long-term? And, and create your plans accordingly. Um, but are you guys wor uh, worried about inflation or not? So we're pumping a lot of money into the market. Theoretically, we're supposed to have inflation, right? More dollar in the market, which means prices are supposed to go up. Um, because it's not supposed to create 
everyone becoming a millionaire. That just doesn't happen. The thing is that as we're selling the notes around the world, there are contracts that actually dictate when they're allowed to use that money. So basically, even though we're printing all these funds, they're being sent down around the world and they're not flooding our market. So we're not going to see a 10, 12 percent increase uh, in inflation. It's, you know, instead of 2 percent, maybe we'll hit a 2.8, maybe 3 percent. If we hit 3 percent, that'd be insane. But also make sure that you uh, you calculate your own inflation because, you know, the government does a really good job of selecting items that haven't gone up or haven't gone up yet. And uh, so they do hide a lot of inflation. But silver is a really good play. When it's going to pop, it's definitely going to pop. Um, but right now it's artificially being kept down. Gold, not as much. Um, but silver, you can tell it's being kept down. One of the reasons... Um, excuses, you know, quote unquote, is because uh, now the economy is going to slow down or, you know, a lot of job loss, we're going to manufacture a lot less. Therefore, silver is going to be used less than the industry. Um, to me, that's not an excuse. It just me gives me a, a better price to increase my portfolio for silver. Because even though the, the inflation is going to be spread around the world, and it's not allowed to come back into the country, I'm not sure how many years. Um, we're still going to see an inflation. And traditionally, gold and silver has gone up with a delay, right? After the recession started. Three years, that's what, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's not quite there yet, but that's something to keep looking at. Uh, thank you, Everson, for the charts. You're, you're the master of the charts now <laughs> and the tech. What about you? Like, are you worried about inflation a lot? Like, how does that impact uh, what you're doing and your strategies? Because you, you want to stay in cash, so you're specifically affected by this right i i'm just taking them one day i'm not particularly concerned about inflation i mean when we look at our when we look at our debt i think that you know inflation has to happen and you kind of factor that in uh i think that three percent that you mentioned max is probably right on target um i i just sort of just take it a day at a time um I'm not going to change my strategy as far as like the, the bankroll is concerned and everything and me staying in cash. Um, I'm probably going to just get right back into the market. I'm, I'm not really concerning myself too much on that. Uh, it, it's, it's for me, it's kind of, I have a different strategy when it comes to, to taxing. Uh, and this is sort of a relatively new strategy that I've developed in the beginning of the year. Um, and this is based off of, what institutions have done that I've noticed that they've done. Um, so I'm kind of excited about it, but, you know, moving forward to, to the uh, end of the year, this is an Im implementation of, of something that I've never done before, but I'm testing, I'm testing this validation now uh, to see if it works. We'll probably discuss it uh, privately. And, um, but it, it's to a point where it's still in the testing phases for me. So I don't want to speak too much about it um, just now. Uh, but what, what I, do you think concerned. of what do you think of silver? Are you like a big believer silver? in silver? I, I did do and a gold. call on silver. I, I do see some sort of value on that. Uh, but because, like Max has said, there's a little bit of manipulation going on. I think that we're not going to see to do a naked call or naked puts on this. You'll probably be losing money if if I had to 
if I had to say something about it. When I looked at the silver, uh, I haven't checked out the GLD. So what I do is I look at the ETFs, which is silver ETF would be SLV. And I look at the GLD as the ETF for gold. Um, I think it's a spider gold trust. But, you know, when I when I look at its day move, it's, as you can see, it's not a lot. It's not a lot on a, on a day move. I don't know if you can all see that, but... Um, we got a 0.49% gain over the, the week we, on the silver, or on the gold, rather. On a week, we have 0.22%. Uh, There's just, just not a lot. You know, on a, on a month, you're down 3.52%. So me being a momentum trader, it doesn't really profit me a lot to be able to be interested in these sectors. So I just won't touch it. Yeah, there's no, there's not enough big movements for you to be able to do swing trades on yeah. it. Right. So, All right. So uh, why don't we, why don't we just move on to the Max's crystal ball section and just give us what, <laughs> tell us what the charts say for this week, Max. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, I mean, you know that uh, it's it's always difficult to predict what the future is going to bring. And, you know, we got Everson now eating popcorn for uh, people listening <laughs> on the, the podcast. Max, it's the Max show. So, I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I always like to start in a three month time frame and it just gives me a view. But since we can't really see much, uh, why? Because all we're seeing is this huge drop. And, you're, and then you're seeing at the beginning of the, the first three months, you're seeing all the price at the top of the chart. So. In times like these, these hard times like these, I like to go to six months just to get a better perspective. And it's still not good enough. You could go up to a year if you wanted to. Um, but right now, we're in that channel that I talked about a little bit earlier. And uh, so that channel is between 243 and 263. It's a soft channel. We'll see which way we break. As of right now, it definitely looks like uh, it's going to be a little bit more bullish than bearish. Why is because we are building a double bottom at 243, and it looks like uh, on the hourly chart, it uh, the fast moving average wants to go above the slow moving average. Uh, so it looks like uh, you know we've built a higher bottom. We'll see if we can build a higher top. Uh, that's how you can dictate a trend. You know, you just an easy way is just make a little line under all the bottoms and make a little line above all the tops and then just see, are we making higher bottoms and higher tops or are we making lower bottoms and lower tops? And that's, that's one way to look at the trend, but just looking at it right now on the daily chart on the spy, which is always where I start my analysis, but uh, we are now we're forming a lower I mean, I'm sorry, we're, we've already formed a higher high and we are actually forming a double bottom to form a higher low. So according to the charts, it looks like we're heading up. It just depends. Are we going to be able to beat that 263, which we were not able to for four days straight, four days Ed, straight. We kept oops. retracing um, and the volume's decreasing. Uh, it looks like we stabilized down. a little bit, doesn't it? I wouldn't say we're stabilizing. I think we're just taking a break because uh, I think things are gonna things are gonna move pretty soon. Um, it's just, are we gonna move high or are we gonna move low? So I'm gonna say we're not gonna be in this channel too much longer. 
uh, by Wednesday. Wednesday should probably be the big decision day where we decide if we're going to go up through that 263, breaking that uh, resistance, or if we're actually uh, going to bounce from that 263 and head back down to 243. I'm not sure by the end of the week if we will make the decision if we're going to break that support. But once we break that support, then look at you know matching that previous low at 219 and then once we achieve that then you know patrick will be right with that dead cat bounce um so basically once we break the 243 and head towards the 219 uh then it's official it'd be a dead cat bounce um and then it's going to be really interesting to see where it goes from there i did want to point out the most important support in the entire chart is around 150 on the spy again and the reason why that's important is it actually matches the top from the, the tech bubble in 2000 and the uh, financial crash in 2008. So that support should be really strong. So if for some reason we keep going down, a good place to start buying, you know, would be around the 150. So we talked a little bit about how Warren Buffett might have started buying a little too early. The thing is, he always buys a little too early. Um, and, you know, that's part of his strategy. And he does exactly what Patrick was mentioning uh, a little bit earlier ago, where he's selling puts to get into positions. That's the only way you should ever buy a stock. If you buy a stock any other way, you know, uh, God help you. Because there's no other way to buy a stock other than selling puts. Um, and so I think what happened is he was selling some puts on Delta. Delta went a little bit. Uh, lower than he had expected. He was assigned those stocks. Um, but remember, he makes about $17 billion, 15 to $17 billion per year just collecting that premium. And uh, he's one of the guys who actually learned that strategy. It's, uh, it's very powerful if you know what you're doing. But he might have gotten into the position a little too early. Uh, he trimmed down a little bit. But I guarantee you he's going to sell a few more puts on that exact underlying. So... As of right now, I can't really predict where we're going. I'm going to say we're going to have two bullish days and three bearish days. Why? Because I, I believe that we're going to head towards that 263 level. We're going to hit it. We're going to get a lot of bad news, and we're going to start coming back down. Um, so I don't think we'll quite get back to the 243 by the end of the week. Next week will be interesting to see if we're headed towards that dead cat bounce or if we want to stay in the channel a little bit longer. But uh, I guarantee you within two weeks, we're out of that channel, either up or down. Yeah, I think that the unemployment numbers are going to be like a wall that we're going to crash into at some point. I, the market can't just keep ignoring it like it is right now. Um, but just but to go back to... fake, though. What's that? Wow, that's so another debate numbers... for another day. <laughs> yeah, okay. But, but um, I just wanted to come back real quick to something that you mentioned because you were talking about Warren Buffett and it brings me back to something I mentioned last week where I said that I was looking into stocks that when we had the mini rally went up a lot uh, and then, you know, had previously gone down significantly. And I said that those were stocks that were interesting to look at because when it rallies again, we can expect those stocks to go up significantly and pretty quickly but the market changes so quickly right now so rapidly uh 
Warren Buffett bought Delta in the four in the forties, I believe, right? right? And now he exited some of those positions in the low twenties. Why? Because people expect that with the government bailout, there's no we don't really know what's going to happen to uh, those yeah, those airlines or cruise lines, maybe AMC and other movie theaters, you know, all of those companies that are struggling and might need a bailout. We don't know what the effect of the government is going to be into it. So just to say that just in one week, something that sounded like a really good strategy, now you have to be a little bit more cautious. Um, and I'm going to chime in something sure. on, on that note. Uh, the reason why it could be a concern with government stepping in, if we took a look at a company called uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, I don't know if you folks are following along back then when they did the, uh, the mortgage bubble um, back in 2008. Yeah. Uh, well, what happened was uh, under the Obama administration, they decided to take over ownership of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So the federal government had ownership with GM, uh, car, uh, General Motors, car dealership company. Uh, they also had, and they were sharing amongst governments where I think Germany had a, had a chance to buy in with General Motors as well. So these are government entities that's trying to buy into the private sector and have ownership within the private sector. But going back to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, as part of the negotiation process and the revamping, now Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac owns 40% of mortgages in in the uh, United States and the, and the whole nation. Uh, 40%, that's a huge sum. Now, in order, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac stock ticker FMCC, it's still tradable in the stock market, but the only reason why it hasn't really done any big movements is because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac can't make a profit. Anything that they make over as a profit, it goes straight back to the uh, to Congress. So our federal government makes all of the profitabilities, and I think at one point it was making about $11 billion. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac can't make a profit. Does that happen to the airlines industry? Do they take 10%? Do they take 20%? Do they take outright ownership of the company? But that's where I kind of get the, uh, you know, it doesn't sit right with me that, that government should be in the private sector. I think the private sector should be the private sector. Government should be government and they should be separate. Uh, perfect point of example, I mean, US, USPS, Postal Service, they're going bankrupt. Uh, and it's been no secret that they're going bankrupt, but who regulates on them? You know, when they when they go bankrupt, when they go belly up, you give it to the private sector. Does UPS, FedEx, and DHL take over ownership? Probably not. They probably just make an excuse for it, brush it under the table, and do a revamping, charge us the taxes for it. But I, I just uh, that's something personal. But it's an idea that a lot of investors, I think, are thinking about as far as government coming into the business sector is, you know, we know that government does, does battle with a lot of things uh, for whatever reason. But it's a valid concern. And I think Warren Buffett was right to be able to sell off for a deal. Yeah, usually the goal is for the company to regain control once they pay it back. But, you know, in this case, it wasn't it, the case. Yeah, it just has so much uncertainty. So, hey, Max, why don't you give us a closing by talking about the unemployment stuff? Because um, we're affected a little bit, too, in the solar industry. So I, why don't why did you just give us your uh, theory on the unemployment numbers? So I'm not going to deny that, uh, you know, that many people, I think we're up to like 4.3 million people now of popcorn. 
The popcorn's out again, <laughs> every ladies time, and gentlemen. Every, every but, time Max uh, What I was going to say is that, you know, 4.3 uh, million unemployment, I'm not, I'm not saying these numbers are fake, and they're actually going to keep growing. What I'm saying is that a lot of those are actually on under furlough, and so they're not getting work from their current job temporarily until things get better, and so now they're just, you know, going to get some, some money from the government uh, well, actually, to be more technical, it's actually money from their employers that are paying taxes into this program. Um, but, yeah, they're going to collect unemployment until things get back, and they're going to get their – I mean, they haven't lost their job, really. They haven't really lost their job. They've just been told that, hey, temporarily you're not going to get hours. You're not going to meet that 36 or, you know, 40 hours minimum that we used to give you. So we're putting you on furlough. Or, you know, some people are actually being fired uh, right. you know, if you're looking at hotels like Marriott things like that. So I'm not denying the numbers. I'm just saying that part of those numbers, and in my theory, 70 to 80 percent of them will get their job very quickly. And so that's why I think it was J.P. Morgan that uh, actually the Fed as well talking about up to 34 percent unemployment, which is realistic uh, with what's going on right now. But they're not even worried about it. Why? Because it's not really a 34 percent. It's just a temporary thing. I think as you know. Airlines get back into action, the cruise lines get back into action, restaurants open back up, that kind of thing. You know, 34% is going to go down to 10, 8, 5% real quick. Yeah, because you know, right I... now, for, for sorry, Everson, for those that don't know, uh, in the stimulus, people that are contract workers, independent workers, basically every 1099 workers, like even real estate agents can apply for unemployment right now. Really? So, yeah, so all those are people that will, you know, they, they have a job, like they'll go back to work when they can, like when the stay-at-home orders are lifted. So, yeah, of course, it's going to boost the number of filings tremendously, as Max was saying. So I don't, I'm not denying that, but it's really hard to pinpoint the percentage, right? So I wanted to mention something about that, um, you know, companies, uh, some of them folding. Um, there, is a, there is a plan in it in the sense that when businesses fire employees, if we look at employees that's been working for the company for quite a bit, um, that they've already invested into retirement, when you get rid of these employees, and I know it's a it's a sad reality, but when you get rid of some of these employees, because they put so many years in, on, on the table, you don't owe them the full pension. You fire them before they before you can pay, pay them out of the full pension, and you rehire them starting from the bottom again. It's a sad reality, but this has allowed companies to be able to save money on that. They, they no longer have to pay out those, those retirement premiums at, at the you know, full, full term. So you've been working for a company, you could retire in 20 years. That means now you have to start from the, from the bottom. Uh, it's going to hurt individuals. It's going to probably hurt the middle class, uh, definitely hurt uh, some, some lower class employees that have planned to retire at a certain date. But because of the break in, in their employment, that's going to cause some issues for for these folks, and it's just it's a sad reality. But it plays into the better half of companies being able to save money off of paying pensions and, and whatnot. Absolutely, that's a great point. All right, guys. So this was our episode number five. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I it was a little bit more mellow today, but I believe that the content was phenomenal. I learned a lot. I hope yeah. you did too. 
I would enjoy if you guys subscribed and liked, gave a rating. That would really help us. And if you have any questions, like just write down below. Give us your questions. Let's make it a little bit more interactive. It's going to be fun. So we'll see you guys next week. Next week, I believe Everson is going to be our amazing host. Let's. Uh, I'm looking forward to <laughs> see what Everson is going to bring us. <laughs> Signing off. I'm, I was Patrick, your host for this I'm week. Everson. See you guys next week. Have a good one, guys. Bye.